If you have a Bible, let's turn to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. We are um, continuing our series through the book of Acts, and I'm bringing um, the little mini-series that we've been doing, which is um, Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47, speaking about church community and church family and what that looks like. And um, I wanted to just kind of bring a a period to the end of this little series that we're doing within our greatest series. I've been talking over the last few weeks, and and the Bible teaches very clearly that God's intent is that through the church, His manifold or His multivaried or multifaceted or richly varied wisdom and glory be displayed through the church to, uh, to all of creation. And, uh, and God's glory, God's wisdom is most greatly displayed when he achieves his will. And, and one of the things we've been discussing over the last uh, few weeks since the beginning of the year is that God's will, God's intent, God's desire for each of us individually is that his kingdom be manifest or displayed uh, in us and through us in increasing ways. Those of you who are followers of Jesus Christ will know that it's not just when you get saved, you don't suddenly start to act like Christ or become like Christ or represent Christ in fullness, but as we journey and walk with God, God's kingdom is increasingly displayed in our lives. The Bible talks about uh, the, the fact that the kingdom is like a mustard seed. It's the smallest of all seeds, but over time, the seed begins to grow, and eventually Jesus, in this particular parable, talks about this tree being this vast tree where where animals and birds are able to find shelter and and everything. So, So there's something of that, of the kingdom of God, that's taking place in our lives. But as much as God is doing that in our lives, He's doing that in our city, and He's doing that into the nations. God is advancing his kingdom. God is extending his kingdom. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 10 says that that in the fullness of time, God's intent is to bring everything under the rulership or the headship of, you know, the rulership or the headship of Jesus Christ. That's God's great intent. That's God's great plan for us. And we as a church have a very intricate and, 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 and important role to play in that. It's God's desire that through the church, his kingdom advance. It's God's desire that through the church, we preach the gospel and, and bring people and introduce people to Jesus Christ. And as people come to know Jesus, they, they discover that their relationship with God is wonderfully restored. But more than that, God begins to heal our relationships with one another and desires to even bless us to be a blessing to our city and to the nations, as we heard today. That's an example of the kingdom of God working in people and then through people. That's God's desire. And the key to all of this, as I've been saying these last few weeks, is the church. It's God's intent that through the church, His manifold or richly varied wisdom and glory be displayed to the nations. It's God's desire that through us this, this, this happens. And so we've been talking about church renewal. Church renewal is simply the church doing what God had originally intended her or her to do. And that's what we see in this wonderful passage in Acts chapter 2. So let's read from verse 40 together. With many other words, this is speaking about Peter. With many other words, he warned them, Peter warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe. And many wonders and, and signs were done by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. 
selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need anyone as he had need every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts they broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What a, what a wonderful picture that we see of, the, of this early church community. If people, very diverse group of people, we've sp- spoken about that, this diverse gathering of God's people coming together, speaks about them being together, and they devoted themselves to various things. That, that phrase, devoted to, as Dave helped us understand a few weeks ago, is not, is not, is not a feeling. Being devoted to something is not a feeling. It's not a function of someone's personality. It's a choice that we make, and, and these people chose to devote themselves to the Word. They chose to devote themselves to the fellowship, to, to the presence of God through, through worship and through prayer. They, they gathered together to praise God, and as they praised God, there was this incredible sense of awe that was released amongst them because signs and wonders were, 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 were on display, and, and the kingdom of God was advanced as they, as they found favor with the, with the city, with the people around them. The kingdom of God was advanced as, as people were, were added to their number, as people came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. This incredible picture of, of church community. I think it was Mark Twain who, uh, who came up with this phrase, there, were li- there's, there, are things, there are lies, there are damn lies, and statistics. And uh, I asked James if I could say the word damned, and he said in that context I would be able to. But uh, I came across a statistic, believe it or you, you might not believe it, I was quite astounded when I came across this statistic, but it seemed to be from a fairly reliable source. And the statistic was this, that 81% of Christians in America believe that it is possible to have a flourishing relationship with Jesus outside of a local church community. 81% of American Christians believe it is possible to have a flourishing relationship with Jesus outside of a local church community. And in response to that, I would say 81% of Americans have a different view of the God that the Bible speaks about. And I know that sounds harsh and, 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 and uh, perhaps a little aggressive, but I, when I read the scriptures, I see that God's intent is that through the church we learn to grow and we learn to mature. And, we, and we, through the church, God is desiring to advance His kingdom into the nations. There's only one instance in the Bibles that I've found where when, when Paul is writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, when he says that we, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and the you in that particular point is you singular, that's the only instant I can find in all of the New Testament where, where the context of, of the outpouring of God's presence and, and the anointing of God and the, and, 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 and the community of believers where the presence of God is discussed in the context of a singular person. Every other instance, it's always referring to the outpouring of God into a community. Acts chapter 2, the believers were together in the upper room praying when the Spirit of God was poured out. Acts chapter 4, the believers came together in a time of crisis to pray and the Spirit of God was poured out powerfully. Acts chapter 8, people were gathered in Samaria and received the gospel and Peter and John prayed for the community of of believers to receive the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 10 in... in, in Cornelius's house, Acts chapter nineteen, in, the, in, in Ephesus, Peter is uh, sorry, Paul is preaching the gospel, and he and he prays for the community of believers to receive the Holy Spirit. Ephesians five, Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, and he says, "Be filled, you plural, be filled with the Holy Spirit." 
1 Corinthians 12, he talks about the gifts of the Spirit, and he says that the Spirit is given for the common good. And I'm really driving this point home, friends, that we must understand that when the Bible speaks about the presence of God and that you and I are called to be temples of the Holy Spirit, the Bible is not talking about that in the singular sense. It's us together as a community of believers knitted together and we hold or house the glory and the presence and the outpouring of, of, of God upon us. First Peter chapter 2, Paul, uh, Peter writes this. He says, uh, he says you, and, and I, I, I like to translate that y'all, because, and that's a terrible southern accent, I apologize, but honestly, I, I, I absolutely am convinced that someone should write the Bible with some southern vernacular, because so often the Bible is referring to you as us together, not singular. And in this case, this is a perfect example for the translators of Scripture to write y'all instead of you. So y'all also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood of offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In the old covenant, we know that, that God's people had priests or human mediators who were given the responsibility to minister before God on behalf of the people. But in the New Covenant, in the New Testament, under, the, uh, under the, 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 the incredible relationship that we have with Jesus Christ, we don't need human mediators anymore. Jesus Christ is our mediator. He's the one who's gone before us and made the way possible for you and I not to have priests, but to be priests ourselves. Those of us who can, in Jesus, access the presence of God, access the throne room of God at any moment of of the day, no matter what's gone before us or what we're facing. Hebrews 4 says this, we have a great high priest, Jesus, the Son of God, who sympathizes with our weakness because he's been tempted with us in every way and yet was without sin. And then it says this, the encouragement is, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. I love that verse, Hebrews 4.16. Let us approach the throne of grace with confidence to find grace in our time of need. Think about the contrast of that. I would think it is most likely for us to have confidence to approach God's throne of grace when we're doing well. When I've read my Bible well, when I've studied the word well, when I've prayed well, when I've worshipped well, when, when I'm doing good in my walk with God, then I would think it's possible to have the confidence to come into the presence of God. But God's word doesn't speak about that. God's word is, is, tells us that our righteousness is never enough to allow us to have access into God's presence. There will never be a day when we do not need the righteousness of Jesus. The day we were saved, we needed the righteousness of Jesus. After walking with God for 60 years, we will need the righteousness of Jesus. And it is the righteousness of Christ that gives us the confidence to come into God's presence. I want to say, friends, don't allow guilt from the past to hold you back from accessing the presence of God. We sang that wonderful song, that second last song that we sang, and I can't think of the words right now, but it spoke about sin has is, is, is been conquered. Sin has been defeated. Guilt has been defeated. Guilt, friends, is such, a, is such an attack of the devil. Guilt just hangs on to us, and it, and, it, and, it, and it holds us back from becoming all that God wants us to be. 
Don't allow guilt to limit your ability to come into the presence of God. But what Peter is saying here in 1 Peter chapter 2 is not that you, singular, are priests. He's saying, if you look at that verse, 1 Peter chapter 2, he says, you are, are a holy priesthood. You're a company of priests. You're a gathering of priests. You're a community of priests. You're a family of priests. That's the point he's trying to drive home. In Exodus, God's original intent for his people was that we would be a kingdom of priests. And, and without going into details, God's people chose to walk away from that desire of God. And God is under Jesus, or through Jesus, is bringing us back to understand what it means to be a kingdom of priests, a community of believers who together are offering spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God. The New Testament lists a number of spiritual sacrifices that priests are called to offer. We call to pray, we call to worship, we call to lay down our lives as living sacrifices, we call to share the gospel with, 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 with our unbelieving friends. And what this verse is saying is, is this is something that we are called to do together, not on your own, not as individuals kind of out there ministering by yourself. No, we get together with one another and we, we discover the sacrifices that God has called us to offer. But this verse in, in 1 Peter chapter 2 is, a, is, a, is such a complex and such an intricate verse because there's actually another analogy that, Paul is, uh, sorry, that Peter is, is, is um, using. Look at it again. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering sacrifices to God. So not only... Does he use the, the analogy of priests? He uses the analogy of living stones. And he says, you, he says, you, us, each of us are, are living stones of different sizes and different shapes. Please, when you, when you read this verse, don't think of the, of the bricks that we produce, that we mass produce in, in factories today. You know, bricks of, of identical shape and identical size and identical color to fit in perfectly into the place. This is a reference to the way they would build walls in, in ancient times where, where bricks, where stones of different sizes and different shapes are placed into a wall. This is what Peter is, is speaking about. This is what Jesus wants us to understand today. That when we, when we are built into a, into a spiritual house, we, we are joined to the living stone and then with one another we are being built into the spiritual house, this temple of the Holy Spirit this gathering or community of God's people that hold or, or house the glory and the presence of God. This is where the presence of God is, friends. When, when, the, when the believers come together to worship Jesus. Every, uh, every morning I drive, every weekday morning I drive past the new target that's being built on Division and um, Larrabee. I don't know if you guys know there's a new target going up there. And it's been quite cool to, to drive past and, and see how um, almost daily, just the, 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 the steps that they're taking to get this target up, up, and, up and functioning. And, uh, and one, one day I drove past and there was this, it was, it was complete concrete siding. You know, they had this concrete kind of structure. And the next day I drove past and there's brick walls everywhere. And it's like, wow, this is amazing. But the point I'm trying to make is today when we see brick walls, don't be fooled. It's not a bricklayer laying individually each brick into the wall. It's a simple veneer or a facade or a, or a, or a, um, a siding that goes up to, make, to give the impression of it being a brick wall. 
And it got me thinking, I think sometimes that's how some Christians are knitted into local church communities. It's simply a, it's a facade, it's a veneer. It has the appearance, you have the appearance of being connected. But God wants more than that, just the appearance of being connected. God wants us to be these, these living stones that are, that are individually and specifically placed into the wall, where if that stone were removed, the wall would be weaker because of it. You've got to ask yourself, are you, are you built into this church or, or another church community if this is not your home church? Are you built into a church that way, where, where people depend on you and you depend on people? Where there is this kind of, there is this understanding that I bring something to this family and this church is weaker if I'm not contributing in the way that God wants me to contribute. I spoke last week about the incredible implications of what it means to be part of a family. And I just want to mention those three things very quickly, just again, because they are so powerful, I I think, not because I came up with them, but because I do think they, it's truth. It really is. We, number one, I spoke about the fact that we can't choose our family members. You don't get to pick your family members. Every other relationship that we face or deal with in the world today is a relationship that we select or we are, or we are always auditioning people. You know, is, 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 if it's a friend or a business relationship or a romantic relationship, We're always asking the question, am I good enough for them? Are they good enough for me? We're auditioning one another. We're selecting one another. But in a family, I'm afraid to say we just get thrown together. And we don't get to choose one another. We need to stop auditioning. We need to stop selecting. And be open to people of all types and shapes and sizes and colors being part of our our community. Secondly, I spoke about the fact that we cannot hide from one another. There's a limit to the amount of privacy that we have in a family. We can't hide from one another. That's the difference between a social club and a family. A social club gathers around a particular reason. A social club, and I used the illustration last week of stamp collecting. Social clubs gather around the purpose of stamp collecting. But you can't, but there you can demand a level of privacy. There's certain boundaries around that particular social club, but not so in a family. There's an expectancy for us to be there for one another. And then thirdly, I spoke about the fact that we can't detach from one another, even though there's the potential for hurt, even though there's the potential for misunderstanding. We can't detach from one another. C.S. Lewis wrote this. He says, to, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and luxuries. Avoid all the entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, and motionless, and airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable. It will become impenetrable and irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. And I want to say, guys, it's this togetherness that God inhabits. When we started this little mini-series talking around community, Sue brought a prophetic word, and, and, and I was actually going to be preaching on that that Sunday. And it's this phrase that God inhabits togetherness. God inhabits community. And it's this, it's this togetherness that I'm speaking about that I believe God inhabits. God presents, Jesus presences, presences himself. That sounds terrible. Makes, him, makes his presence known. 
Jesus makes his presence known. Jesus makes his presence felt in a place where there's togetherness. Listen to Matthew chapter 18. It says this, uh, verse 19 and 20. Jesus says, again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. Now, what Jesus is saying here, he's not just saying, you know, we, we, we disagree on a number of things and we, we kind of mean to one another, but hey, you know what? There's a, there's a project like going to Mongolia that we're working on, so for the sake of the project, we're going to agree. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is talking about a community where there is honor and trust, where there, where there are no shadows, there's no, there's, no, there's no bitterness, there's no competitiveness, that, we, that we're encouraging one another. That we're thinking, always thinking of the best of one another. Jesus says, the Bible says in this verse, in a community like that, we have access to the full riches of heaven. I tell you, if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. Where there is true unity, we have the full riches of heaven at our fingertips. And then verse 20 goes on to say, For where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. Man, this is amazing. This is not, this is not us having our own agenda. Coming together in the name of Jesus is not just quoting the name of Jesus frequently enough to convince people that we're coming together in his name. Coming together in the name of Jesus means we've got no secret agendas. Even if I'm not used, even if, if someone else is not used, as long as Jesus is exalted... I love the fact that last week we had Chris and his team up here speaking prophetically over, God, over, over the church, and God's presence was here. But this week we have Matt and his team from uh, Mongolia speaking to us, and the presence of God is still here, but working in a very different way, because we're gathering together to see Jesus' name exalted. And that's the kind of church I want to be part of. I believe that's the kind of church I am a part of. This is not a rebuke. This is just an exhortation for us to... To, 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 to press in even deeper in the area of community. That's why I'm taking three or four weeks to teach on this. Because I believe this is a, a word for, from God for us. Psalm 133. How good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters, it's not a sex-specific sex thing, how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. Isn't that true? It's good when we're in unity, isn't it? It's not good when we're striving, uh, uh, there's strife. It's not good when there's disunity. It's not pleasant when there's disunity. It's good and pleasant when brothers live together in unity. And then it says, verse 2, It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robes. What is the psalmist talking about? He's talking about the, uh, the fragrant anointing oil that was used in Old Testament times to anoint anyone or anything that was about to be used in the service of the Lord. They would have to be anointed by this fragrant anointing oil. But modern day understanding of anointing somebody in church circles, most of us think that we get a little kind of jar of oil and you kind of put your fingertip in the, in the jar of oil and you kind of paint a little cross on your forehead. And we think that that's the equivalent of anointing. In the Old Testament, when somebody was anointed with, with, um, with, with fragrant anointing oil, they would make this huge vat of very viscous, very sticky, very fragrant oil. 
And they would take this entire vat of oil and they would pour it down from the top of someone's head and allow this viscous stickiness to to kind of drip down their shoulders, down their robes, and onto their feet. Imagine taking an entire vat of, of something like maple syrup and standing there and allowing this to pour, be poured down upon you. That's what the Bible's talking about. Think about going somewhere once you've been anointed with the anointing oil. You're going to be noticed a mile away. And when you're there, you're going to be leaving something of your footprints behind. Wherever you go, that the fact that you were there because you've been anointed with this fragrance anointing oil is, is evident because of, it's, it's on you. Isn't that an incredible illustration of what unity brings? When we come together in times like this on Sundays, it's not so much about hearing the word preached, but it's important. It's not so much about singing some amazing songs which we sang today, but it's important. It's about what God does in our togetherness. It's about God knitting our hearts together and in this place of, of unity and togetherness, the presence of God is evident and present. You could listen to those great worship songs that we sang on, on, on the radio or listen to them on a, on a CD. You won't have the, it won't have the same impact as being here and allowing God. And then, you know what? When we go tomorrow to work, we take something of this fragrant anointing oil with us. We've been anointed. It's the, as the church comes together in unity, it's like this fragrant oil being poured out upon our heads. So tomorrow when you go to work, you're going to be leaving the presence of God wherever you go. That's why God wants us to be together. That's what God wants to do in, in, in our togetherness. But then he goes on, and the psalmist says in verse 3, and I've never, I, I'm maybe a bit embarrassed to admit this, but I've never taken the time to really understand verse 3 until this week. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. It's remarkable when you study what that actually means. Uh, Hermon was a, was, a, was a mountain in Palestine. It was the highest mountain in Palestine. And it was always snow-capped, covered with snow. And around in the, in the low valleys and the lowlands, it was parched and desert. But on Mount Hermon, because of the snow capped, it was always full of dew, always resourced with water, and they were therefore always full of life. And so what the psalmist is saying is saying, when, when unity happens, it's as if the dew from Mount Hermon is falling upon Mount Zion, God's people. That's the picture the psalmist is trying to paint. You know, sometimes when we, when we get dry or tired or parched or we're going through tough times, you know what we often do as, as, as Christians, modern-day Christians? I need some time off. I, I need some time off. I'm, I, I'm not going to be around for the next three or four weeks. I, I need some time off. I need to, I need to disengage from everyone. I, I need to be alone for a bit and to find God again alone. And I want to say, if Psalm 133 is speaking the truth, which I think it is, that's the worst thing we can do. Now, I'm not saying we busy ourselves with church activities to the point of exhaustion, but what I'm saying is, when we are tired and we are parched and we are thirsty, we need one another more than when we are encouraged. Those are the times we need to press, and those are the times when we need to come to worship on a Sunday morning, exhausted and tired and not able to even lift our hands. But as we come into the presence of God, it's as if the dew from Mount Hermon is beginning just to bring life again to my soul. I'm convinced one of the devil's greatest strategies is to isolate Christians from community 
I'm absolutely convinced in, in my, my humble estimation, that's one of his most effective strategies. And we've got to be careful that it doesn't happen. John 13 verse 35 says this, By this all men will know that you are my disciples. And so this community that I'm speaking about, this community of love, this community of honor, this community that cherishes one another, this community that respects one another, this community that thinks the best of one another, this community that houses the presence of God, this community, that's that kind of a community, let me tell you, is going to be very intriguing, if not intoxicating, to people who don't know Jesus. Very, very intriguing. I had a, a, a very interesting conversation with, a, with a, a gentleman about six weeks ago who was at church in the city. And he came to me after church, and he, he shook my hand, and he thanked me for what was happening, what had happened that morning. And for us, it was just a, a good, regular Sunday celebration. And he started off by saying, I'm not a fan of organized religion. He's not a, a follower of Jesus. And he says to me, he says to me, you know, I, I don't understand what's going on here, but I'm very intrigued. I'm very intrigued by what's going on here. I think I'll be back, were his words to me. And, and I know that to be the presence of God. I know what he couldn't see, he didn't know that, but the presence of God was, in, was in, almost intoxicating to him. Something of God's presence was, was here challenging him. So I want to end off in these last couple minutes, just two, two or three more minutes. I want to ask, ask the question, you know, that's great, but what happens tomorrow? What happens tomorrow when you go to work? You know, we've been speaking about church community, we've been speaking about church family and God's presence being in our midst, but what happens tomorrow when we when we go to work or throughout the rest of this week? Well, how, do we, how, do we engage, how do we engage those who are not part of our church community? And I want to just leave you with four little things. Jesus says we are the salt of the earth. So I'm going to give you four things, one starting with S, one starting with A, one starting with L, and one starting with T. And I haven't done that for probably about six months. So I thought it's time to, to pull out the old, uh, the old tricks again. Yes. So, you are the salt of the earth. What can you remember for tomorrow? Firstly, S, S, we are called to serve. We're called to serve those who are not part of our community. We're called to serve our city. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, it says this, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, and can I just say this? You need to settle the fact that at some point, if you are living out a Christian life, the pagans, the unbelievers, those who don't know Jesus will be frustrated with you. Don't be thrown by that. It's going to happen. There's a different worldview that they have to the worldview that we have. And we're not, we're not, we're not uh, distancing ourselves. We're not making ourselves arrogant or better than. It's simply a fact. There is going to be some disagreement. Don't be thrown by that. But it goes on to say this. So that they may see your good deeds or your acts, acts of service and glorify God on the day that he visits. Now, if you read verse 11 of 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter says that we are aliens and strangers in this world. Friends, we are not citizens of the city. What I mean by that is we are not citizens of the city to the point where we gain our identity from the city. But also, we are not tourists or visitors in the city. And what I mean by that, tourists and, bidders, uh, tourists and visitors just come into a city or a nation in order to be blessed but they don't engage or pay the price. We're not, we're not citizens of the city who find our identity in the city. We're not visitors. But we're, we're uh, strangers and aliens. That word in the original Greek literally means a resident alien. We are those whose citizenship is elsewhere, 
but we are engaged into our city, serving our city and loving our city. We find identity in Jesus Christ. We find love and acceptance and affirmation in Jesus Christ. We find honor in him. He's the one who identifies us. So that when we go and engage our world, we're not engaging our world in order to find identity. We're not engaging our world in order to be affirmed. We're not engaging our world in order to be loved. But we're engaging our world so that we can affirm others. So that we can love others. So that we can encourage others. So that we can help others find their identity and their worth in God. We call to serve one another and serve our city. Secondly, A. A is for ask. Ask. A-S-K. I hope that my ask. There you go. Ask. We call to, that sounds, okay, let me not go there. You do not, you do not have because you do not ask. You do not have because you do not ask. That sounds terrible. Man. <laughs> You do not have because you do not ask. And, and I felt God challenge me on this a few weeks ago at prayer. Friends, we've, we've got to, every day, I think, we've got to ask God to send us as, as workers into the harvest field. Because the harvest field is ripe. Every day we've got to ask God for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit to equip us to be able to do what He's calling us to do. I think every day we've got to be asking God for the salvation of those of our friends who do not know Him. We, are, we have not because we do not ask. Thirdly, this is a bit of a stretch, but I couldn't find a better word. L, link. Link. We need, to, we need to find ways to link our friends who are not part of our church community, not part of the kingdom of God. We need to find ways to link them into community events. And the only reason I say that is because when two or more are gathered together in Jesus' name, he says he will be present. You know, our times of coffee around Starbucks, we are in, at Starbucks, we are just as able to experience the presence of God there than we are here. And so we need to find ways to, to draw our unbelieving friends into events or places where the presence of God is. Link them into friends. And then lastly, T, testify. We need to testify. When someone asks about Jesus, can I encourage us? Don't teach them theology. Don't teach them theology. Tell them about the person of Jesus. Tell them about who Jesus is and what he's done in your life. Serve, ask, ask, link, and testify. All right, I'm done. I want to just close off with this. I just as this little mini-series of church community comes to an end, I felt I just wanted to maybe pray for us as a church. And I think that as I was praying this morning, I felt that there are just some, some areas where I feel God wanted to just minister into our hearts. Just for two, two minutes and then we're done. Because we are saved, because we are born again, those of us who are born again are sons and daughters of God and therefore brothers and sisters of one another. But I feel like God is challenging us all. This is as much for me and the eldership team as it is for someone who's very new here today. I feel God is challenging us to... to want to, to ask us to become better brothers and sisters, that we become better brothers and sisters, that we don't, find our, we don't find our worth or our value in what we do for this church family. We find our worth and our value in the reality that we're part of our church family, that ministry doesn't be the th- isn't the thing that defines us in this church, 
that our relationships, firstly with Jesus and then with one another, be the thing that defines us. And then ministry flows out of that place. I feel like for some, being a better, a better brother and a sister means just being more committed, more connected, uh, opening up your heart, learning, asking God to give you the courage to be able to trust again. Asking God to give you the, 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 the ability to, to, to open your heart as others open their hearts to you. I know there are people sitting in this room who've been hurt by church, maybe even this church family. We've had times in the last nine years where we've been hurt and we've hurt others. But this, I feel, is a season where God was wanting us to, to just allow him to minister healing and wholeness in our hearts again. So I want to just pray for just for a minute. And I think, this, there's, I think in every one of us sitting here, there's an area that we can be a better brother and a sister. I don't think there's not one person here that this doesn't apply to. So I'm going to pray for us as, an, as, an, as a whole church. Can we just receive that? And then James can come up and close the meeting. Father, firstly, we thank you that you have given us the incredible gift of your son, Jesus. Jesus, we thank you for your obedience to death on the cross. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you raised Jesus from the dead. And Jesus, that you are now seated at the right hand of the Father in glory. And thank you that by rescuing us and knowing, and us knowing you and you being our Lord, that our relationship with God the Father is restored. And I thank you for that, Jesus. Thank you that I am a son. Thank you that I am together this morning with, with brothers and sisters who are sons and daughters of yours. And I thank you for the incredible plans and purposes that you have for each and every one of us. But Lord, I pray, help us to know, Lord God, of the incredible blessing and benefit and, and safety and, 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 and uh, a power that comes with being part of a church family. Father, those of us who've been hurt, we, we just bring our broken hearts before you and we ask for healing. Those of us who've been distant and aloof, Lord God, we, we come with humble hearts to ask that you would help us to be those that can be uh, trusted and those that are willing to trust others. Father, I pray this would be that church community, that family that Jesus, you spoke of in Matthew 18. I pray this would be a place where every time we gather, we gather in agreement, in unity. Every time we gather, we celebrate our diversity, we celebrate our differences, but we gather in your name, Jesus. May you be the one to, to knit our hearts together. Because we want to we see the fullness of heaven being poured out through us into our city. We want to see Chicago different, Lord. We want to see Chicago transformed by heaven. And I know, Lord God, it's your heart to use the church. So help us with that, I pray. Just as every eye is closed, if there's anyone here who does not know Jesus as Lord and Savior, this is a wonderful opportunity to Take just a minute and invite him into your heart. I'm not asking you to be part of this church. I'm not encouraging you to be religious. But Jesus says he is the way, not one of the ways, the way, the truth, and the life. I know absolute truth is not very popular these days, but the word of God says Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. 
we come into relationship with God by receiving Him into our hearts as Lord and Savior. So very quickly, I would, I don't wanna, I'm not going to call you forward, but I'd love to just lead you in a prayer right where you are seated so that you can receive Jesus into your heart. I'd love to pray with you right, right where you are. Just lift your hand if that's you. I'd love to just know that there's someone out there that I'm, that I'm praying for. Would anyone like to respond to that invitation this morning? I'd love to be able to pray for, pray for you or pray with you. Anyone? Quickly lift up your hand. Lord, we thank you so much for your incredible gift of your son. Help us to go today, Lord Jesus, with your anointing, that viscous, fragrant anointing oil in, on our lives so that we can make a, an, an impact in our city. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Steve. Awesome, awesome joy to be a part of the family of God and to be a part of this family uh, here, this specific one. Um, Just as we close today, just want to remind you, um, right outside, more coffee, tea, uh, whatever you need. Visitor's table with uh, Chris and Nancy Whiteley are going to be out there as well as Wendy. So say hello if you're visiting with us. And we'll have some people right up here up front. If you have something that you would like to receive some prayer for today, Please, please, don't be a stranger. Come up front. And on that note, uh, Clive, I think you wanted to come up and uh, just share something that the Lord was putting on your heart real quick. Hi, folk. Um, I just felt earlier this morning uh, there was someone here um, that has problems on the left side of their face, above their jaw. It goes up inside and into your back of your eye. I felt a huge amount of pain there, and then it disappeared. So don't leave it well now. But if it is you, please come forward and we can pray. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks. Uh, so ministry team, we can invite you up. Friends, thanks so much. Have a wonderfully awesome, like, 60-degree Sunday. So uh, we're getting there. That's what I'm talking about. And, uh, yeah, thanks for joining us today. God bless. Bye.